Hello. Again. Yeah, just a couple of uh, other ones here. A friend, we're looking to bring together missional groups of people. Uh, Two weeks ago, we brought together a group that were interested in Somalis. They've already met. They've had a Somali prayer meeting. That is functioning. Brandon and his team are functioning down at the U, and we're looking to have more startup. We want to know what God's putting on your heart, what your passion is. And here's a lady, Kathy uh, Liu, who's got a passion for young children at risk. And if that's something that you connect with, I'd like to talk to you because we'd like to get those together and really helping some of the people in the city, some of the children in the cities, be Thursday evening from 6 to 8. So please let me or Karen know if that's something that you'd like to have a part in. We invited you to the class on October 7th. We didn't invite all the people that came last night, but they came anyway. What was that about? I think it was maybe about Robert Walter because people heard that he was going to be speaking, and he spoke on grace for shame, and people were being encountered. It was wonderful to see it happening. And they just showed up. Five alumni came and a few other people came. What we're saying is you go ahead and come. In fact, I'm going to show you uh, in the next two weeks, uh, send out to you the whole schedule for the year. And if you see a class, you'd say, I'd really like to take that. Come. Don't even pay. The Harvest Project people have to pay, for goodness sake, but you don't have to pay. We'd like you to see what's going on here because it is really great. People are being encountered. It was wonderful last night to see that. So we're just going to open that up for you. And there's also a wonderful thing going on in the city. It's called School of Ministry with the Master's Institute. It's at Bridgewood Community Church, and it's on Monday nights uh, for the whole school year, and the subject is equipping. So if that catches your attention and you'd like to pick up something and hear more about that you do that and a a couple weeks ago uh, as we talked about identity in christ we printed up some scriptures be good to fold these up and put them in your bible don't have a lot of them we'll print up more so uh just take one if you want put in your bible i used to do that all the time with scriptures that i needed to build myself up in areas where i felt weak and i felt wimpy And so I memorized scriptures, and I started memorizing chapters, and I started memorizing books. Just let the the scriptures drench me. So I'd really encourage you to do this. Okay, we're having maybe two commissionings tonight, but we're having at least one. Steve and Jenna, come on up, will you? We're going to commission them. Yeah, they are. And uh, we're going to pray over them. We want to hear their heart, what they're doing, where they're going, what's going on. So uh, who do I pass this on to? Okay, this is Jenna, this is Steve. And they're heading for lands far beyond the end of the month. Um, First of all, we just want to say thank you so much, Paul and Karen, for, I want to be able to stand and see you guys. 
just thank you so much for who you guys are and the way that you guys pour out your lives for all of us. Um, the way that you sacrifice yourselves has made such an impact on us, and we have just tremendous respect for who you are. And just thank you so much for the blessing that you've been to us. And to our Communitas family, it's hard hard to say goodbye. We're going to miss um, miss you guys. There's so many... So many individuals here that we've been able to develop relationships with, and we really call you guys family. So thank you so much for your love, your support, your encouragement, and your prayers. So going to have Steve share a little bit about us. Uh, yeah, so for those of you that don't know, we're actually leaving the country for long-term missions to Thailand. Um, and we've got a, if you want to keep in touch with us, we'd love to keep in touch with you. we got like a little newsletter, email newsletter if you want to keep in touch, so I'll pass these around. Um, so before we get into stuff about Thailand, I just want to share a little bit. Uh, you know, some of you know us, some of you don't. Um, you know, my name is Steve. This is my wife, Jenna. Uh, we do have a little boy on the way who's doing. <laughs> yeah, she, she's six months pregnant. So. <laughs> um, so a little bit about me, uh, yeah, I grew up going to North Heights Lutheran Church. I mean, that was a pretty, you know, charismatic, spirit-filled church. Going to the Holy Spirit Conference, hosted by Paul Anderson. Um, and probably about the age of eight years old, I got filled up with the fire of God's Holy Spirit. Um, I don't think my life was ever the same after that. So um, I've been in ministry about the last five years. I was down at a state college campus that was a party school. And uh, a group of us college kids came together and just started crying out for our campus. And we literally saw a breakthrough. I mean, we saw, like, thousands of kids get saved within, like, two years. I mean, radical breakthrough. Um, and then my wife, Jenna, she actually is a third-generation mission missionary now. So her, gram- her grandparents were in Africa for 33 years. Uh, her parents have been in India reaching out to unreached people groups for about 23 years. And now there's her, so just the anointing and blessing that comes from that is really remarkable. Uh, she's been on staff with the House of Prayer here in the Twin Cities, done a lot of work in deliverance and healing, inner healing ministry with broken youth and all kinds of stuff like that. So, um, yeah, yeah, we went and fed the homeless with Clifton, too. That was fun. <laughs> um, I'll let her share a little bit about, you know, the call that we've received from the Lord. If you want to go back to that first slide quick, too. Um, you know, kind of the vision that the Lord's given us is that uh, the Lord is declaring a day of freedom for nations that don't know him. Uh, and he's declared a day of freedom for the captives, uh, for orphans and children that have been held in captivity, that have been crying out to him for years. Uh, and this is a day of freedom that the Lord is declaring. So that's kind of the overall vision. I'll let Jenna share a little bit about the call that we receive from the Lord. So. Isaiah 58.6 says, It is this. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? And that that whole chapter in Isaiah 58 has really just gripped our hearts and, um, yeah, just wrecked us. And we, we both grew up really with a heart for missions and for the poor. I, I um, was called to missions when I was 13, and I know for both of us, all our high school research papers are about orphans and victims of sex trafficking and the the least of these and so that's been our heart for a long time and when we met each other that was actually a big part of what um 
what really confirmed that God was bringing us together was we had the same heart and the same vision, the same passion, the same calling. And we were just praying and asking the Lord, where are you calling us to? And before we even got engaged, um, probably within about the first six months of us dating, we were at the house of prayer one night praying for um, the topic of intercession was praying for Thailand and specifically victims of sex trafficking. And the spirit of the Lord just came on us. And we both separately, individually just began to travail in intercession and um, just praying for Thailand and really, really received the Lord's heart for Thailand. And that night, we knew that we knew that we knew that that's where he had called us. Yeah. So that was about three years ago and then last few months ago then the lord said now this is the time to go to thailand <laughs> so go hit the next slide so we'll share a little bit about the need in thailand uh, we know there's some people here that have actually been to thailand and may feel called to thailand but thailand is literally one of the darkest places on the face of the planet spiritually i mean we've literally we've talked to missions directors at churches that have been to you know 20 30 nations all over the world and they say that thailand is by far the darkest place that they have been to uh, thailand is it's only about 0.5 percent christian uh, it's mostly Buddhist. There's been no breakthrough of the gospel there in the history of the nation. So it was a very spiritually dark nation. On top of that, it is the major hub uh, for sex trafficking. There's about a million young women and children that are trafficked through Thailand each and every year. So it's a very spiritually dark place. It's very intense. Um, and so there's a, there's a lot of warfare. There's a lot, of, a lot that needs to happen for breakthrough in the nation of Thailand. Um, so I'll let Josh share a little bit briefly about just the vision the Lord has given us specifically for the nation of Thailand to bring breakthrough. So our heart is to see, like um, like the name, every captive free, ultimately is to see every captive set free because we know that's the heart of Jesus. But some of the ways that, um, some of the vision he's given us on how to do that and some of the things to focus on is we'll be ministering to orphans and victims of sex trafficking. We'll be working with a home that takes in victims of sex trafficking and then helping them start different businesses and things to help provide for themselves so that they can get out of that um, out of that and also we know that in order for there to be the kind of breakthrough that we want to see happen that altar that has been established to the enemy has to be torn down and an altar of prayer and worship has to be established to the Lord and there's no other way so we will be joining with actually some others that are pioneering a house of prayer that will be started in Chiang Mai we'll be sewing into that and helping establish the house of prayer there We'll also be doing evangelism, not only face-to-face evangelism, but we'll also be working with the ministry. We'll be coming under YWIM and we're working with several different ministries um, under YWIM, but there's one called Create International that use, uses creative um, media as an evangelistic tool to reach masses. And so they were really excited to hear that Steve has web design skills and um skills and web development and so we'll be definitely wanting to use that as well for for breakthrough there um so how you can help uh first of all you can just pray i mean and not only pray for us but pray for breakthrough in the nation of thailand now god's given us a promise that he's going to take the nation of thailand and when the lord gives you a promise that means it's going to (laughs) happen So we really believe that God is going to set the nation of Thailand on fire, and it is literally going to be a breakthrough in that Southeast Asia region that's going to change the entire world. So pray, pray, pray for breakthrough. Uh, you know, it would really be awesome, too, if, you know, that even here, you know, if there was just a travailing in the spirit and a crying out for the nation of Thailand to see breakthrough. 
Um, and we know many of you might even feel called to places like India and Thailand and some of these different regions because that area of the world has the most unreached people groups in the entire world. And so you can pray just for a radical breakthrough that God, that the Spirit of the Lord would just come and convict hearts and bring people to Jesus. Um, <laughs> amen. <laughs> and also, uh, the reality is everything costs money, right? So um, we used to get a little bit of money to raise. We only got about 75% of our monthly, or 25% of our monthly support, but if everybody in this room gave $10 a month uh, towards sending us, we'd be able to minister for the next 20, 30 years, <laughs> whatever. So uh, it's not that much money. Uh, just as you perfectly consider it, uh, we got little slips of paper. You can fill a little credit card and just say, you know, I'm support you 10 bucks a month or something like that. So, um, did it go out? Did it go out? Did we go up? <laughs> yeah, so we're really excited about this. We just... Uh, yeah, and feel free to keep in touch with us. Uh, you know, we'll be overseas as well, and if there's others down the road that, you know, feel called to missions or things like that, feel free to connect with us. We'd love to come alongside you and help get you overseas as well. So, Oh, yes, website. Oh, yeah, we're handing out prayer cards, too. Um, it has our website on there. You can check Check that out. Um, what, our website is www.everycaptivefree.org. Um, we're handing out these prayer cards as well. You can put them on your fridge. Just remember to pray for us and pray for breakthrough in the nation of Thailand. So, way to go, Stephen Chinna! What a what a good capsule of their ministry. Just for a moment now, uh, just speak out. What do you appreciate about Stephen Chinna? Some of you have gotten to know them. What do you appreciate about them? Courage, sacrifice, their heart, intentionality, hospitality. Yeah, they've had a lot of people over, haven't they? Transparency, genuine. Overflowing love. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, they're entrepreneurs. Business starters. That's a wonderful thing to take to the missions with you. What a gift to bring to the missions. The ability to start up businesses. Indeed. So we're going to pray for them now as you come together. If uh, can't, can't take all of you here, but we can take some of you just to gather around and uh, lay hands on them. And then I'm going to speak some words of scripture and commission them. Steve and Jenna are loved because when they came here, they they began right away to bring people into their homes. They've discipled people. They've they've shown us that they really have the kind of heart that uh, can, can go the long haul in missions. This is not this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And they're willing to take it for the long haul. So if you pray, either speak out loud. I've got a mic. We'll take a couple of you in, uh, to pray. And the rest of us can just uh, be strong and, and leaning in. It's not a surprise to the Lord that you're carrying a child. This is his idea. And it's also a symbol of new birth in the spirit. Not only will they have their own child that's going to bring them much joy but they will have many 
many children all around them. And in that, you will see that it'll be like um, the, the new growth will just continue. As you see these children grow up, your own children and the children the Lord gives you, uh, the, it's going to go out, that his work, his light will go continue to go out and you will see great things. Lord will allow you to bring healing, healing to people in body, soul, and mind. We praise and thank you, Father, for your glory. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we just praise you for Steve and Jenna, and I ask God that you would protect them while they travel, Lord, with where you have them. I pray that you would um, surround them with your presence and um, give them discernment with even um, things in the spirit of where they should go, and just protect them in Jesus' name with where you bring their feet and. Lord, I pray that they would see miracles, God, that you would just anoint them and that you would use them for your glory, Jesus. Go before them, go behind them, in Jesus' name. From 2 Timothy chapter 4, we read, But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all duties of your ministry. From Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 19, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared both to Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. And here's the key verse that I give to you tonight. I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I commission you in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to testify to the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. We, we tell you to be, to be courageous, to endure, to do the work as he has called you. And we, we agree to stand with you in prayer. I say to you who are hearing this, that we will stand with them in prayer. And we will uh, encourage them on together with the cloud of witnesses. And so accept this commission from the living God. And we uh, send you with our love and with our prayers. In Jesus' holy name, amen. I hope that many of you sign up to, to give them a weekly gift of $10 a month. I think you can afford it. And how fitting now to introduce someone who has just come 
from beyond, come back from China. He goes there often. He is a a world-class apostolic leader, travels the nations, was a pastor in Texas when I first met him, and then God has released him into an apostolic worldwide minister, raising up leaders around the globe, and he is teaching this week at the Harvest Project. If you want to hear him again after hearing him tonight, he'll be here tomorrow night teaching between uh, the hours of 6 and 10. So let's pray for Robert Walter. He has the fortune, the strange fortune of having two first names. He's also an identical twin, so I'm not sure if this is really Robert. This may be his brother. We don't know for sure, but uh, I hope your brother can teach well if you don't. Thank you, Father, for our good friend. Thank you uh, for bringing Robert back to us. And we open our hearts. It's a wonderful thing, but it's also a sober thing to hear the message of the gospel because it's dangerous. To know and not to do is not to know. And so, God, give us ears. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Allow us to hear tonight, to hear deeply tonight in a way that brings conviction and change. We pray for Jesus' holy sake. I just like looking at your faces. I know I'm supposed to start talking, but it's so good to look in your faces and to see the love of Jesus. And um, all I can think is that the Father... He's just busting all his buttons of pride as he listens in to what's happening here tonight and every time you all get together. Now, um, I've got a bit of a sore throat, so I'm not going to be able to talk real loud tonight. But uh, keep praying for me, would you? I want to know it's a great joy. Do we need to? Do we need to change the? Hold on a minute. The switch went off. It was on. And then, is that what it is? Okay. So, anyway, it's a real privilege for me to be here, and I, I don't say that everywhere I go, but it, it really is encouraging me already just to be here. Is it going again? Yeah. Much crap on the handhelds. Sorry. DJ, I'm giving this one. So I, I guess I must have something important to say, huh? Is that one of those backwards compliments? Is that what that is? So anyway, um, as I'm sitting here, I'm asking God, okay, how, how do I start? A lot of times I come to share a message, and I don't always know how I'm going to start it. And, I, and I'm always thinking, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to these folks? And uh, to me, there's the story's not about me. Paul invited me here to share some of my stories, but really, the story's not about me. The story is about you, and in a big part, the biggest part, the story is about him. But, you know, I could introduce myself, and I could tell you a lot about me, but really, the story is about you, 
and about Jesus. And that's where I want to end. Tonight I want to start by saying something about me because I think it's going to reflect a little bit upon you. Is that okay? Can I talk about myself in the context of your story? Would that be all right? When I, was, uh, when I graduated from college, I, well, I grew up in Connecticut, uh, and it was a beautiful place, hills, mountains, streams, forest, and I ended up going out to school in Ohio. I'd never been there before. Anybody from Ohio? Okay. That's right, Steve. I mean, Tim. That's right. Anyway, but I'd never been out there, so I asked somebody that had been there, I said, what's Ohio like? And they said, well, it's just like Connecticut, except it's flatter and it has fewer trees. I said, Okay, all right. So I went out there, and sure enough, you know, it was rolling hills instead of these rocky mountains and not as many trees. When I finished my four years studying geology, I got a job with Texaco, and they shipped me off to Texas, a place I never even wanted to go. Anybody from Texas? All right, where? El Paso. El Paso, Midland. You know, ooh, I know. See, she understands. I, 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 so I said I got marooned in Texas for 25 years. But anyway, I'd never been there. And so I asked somebody, what's Texas like? And this is a true story. I asked somebody from Ohio, what's Texas like? They'd been there, and they told me, well, it's just like Ohio, except it's flatter and has fewer trees. I swear, that's exactly what they said. I thought, I can't believe this. And then when I I flew in, I didn't even own a car. I didn't even own a bicycle. Everything I had fit in a trunk and a suitcase. So I flew in. I'm looking out the window. We're getting ready to land, and I'm thinking, Oh, man, I've made the biggest mistake of my life because this was like wasteland, right? Am I right? It was like wasteland. Talk about flat. Talk about dry. There was even a town nearby named No Trees. If anybody needed proof that there were no trees, and I'm thinking, if I have to move somewhere next, I have no idea what that place is going to look like. If it's flatter and fewer trees, it couldn't get worse, you know? So I'm in the oil business, and it was the time of the oil business when things were really taken off. You know, the oil business is one of those businesses that's like boom or bust. And I had started during one of the boom cycles. So I started off, I, I wasn't making peanuts. I mean, you would, you would laugh if I told you what I started making with Texaco. You, you couldn't buy lunch now, it seems like, with that. But, but really rapidly, I was able to step my way up, and I was making more money than I ever thought possible. I'd go hang out parties where the single guys like me would hang out, and they'd be standing around talking about how they were going to retire at the age of 30. And I'm thinking what? But if that's possible, I want it. You know what I mean? I want it because there's things I can do with my life. I got lots of things to do. Don't you? I mean, so I I wanted to travel. I wanted to see the world. Um, This might sound weird. I wanted to read and study. I liked to explore the world of books and things like that. And I also, I wanted to fence. I was, I was involved in the sport of fencing and I had a Hungarian coach that told me you could make it in the Olympics. I'll coach you. And what, you know, that's a head trip, isn't it? Somebody tells that to you. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. If I could get the money to do it, man, that's what I do. And I'm thinking this through. And at the same time, I'm teaching the Bible in my church. People are coming to know Christ. Lives are being changed. And I'm thinking, wow. If I give myself to that Hungarian coach to pursue that Olympic dream, what's it going to mean? And I'm realizing... T- to pursue Olympic dream, it's all or nothing. And it, it's almost like a religion, isn't it? When you're an Olympic athlete. And at that point, as I realized that, I realized I had to say no. And at that point, I actually gave God my sword and I said, God, I'm giving you my sword and I ask you in exchange to give me the same ability to wield the sword of the spirit that you gave me to wield this sword. That was a long time ago. And since then, even before then, but since then, that's what I've been doing. I've been teaching the Bible, and 
I'm just amazed and I'm humbled how God is able to use people, ordinary people like me. I, I don't know what your background is and I don't know what the call is on your life, but I know this, that God has the same kind of a call on your life that he has on mine. And that is a call to eternal significance. My sense of leaving the oil industry was this. I find oil. Geologists do that. Geologists find oil. And what happens next? Somebody burns it. It's gone (laughs) in a puff of smoke. And I thought, wow, what what am I giving my life to? I want to give my life to something that has eternal significance. I don't want to see people burned up in smoke for one thing. But I don't want to see my work go up in smoke. I want to give my life to something that matters. But along the way, what happens when you begin to consider, am I going to serve God? What is the voice that comes whispering in your ear? It's the same voice that whispered in Eve's ear. And you know, you know what I think it is? It, it, he, you know, he's not at all original. It's always the same line with him. You know, in, in the Garden of Eden, you know how it was? They had everything. They had every tree they could eat of, except just one. And it's that tree that Satan points their attention to. Hey, and, and why is it, he's saying, that God won't let you eat from that one? Now, now get it. They've got thousands of trees they can eat from, and he doesn't talk about those. But he just points out, well, what about that one? Why can't you eat from that one? And he plants the seed that, oh, if we do it God's way, we're going to miss out on something we need. You know what I'm saying? And that's the broken record that I'm talking about because he has not had a new line since then. It's always this. If you follow God's way, you know what? You're going to miss out on all the fun. You're going to miss out. And whether it's a tree or whether it's a party or whether it's a a, a boyfriend or girlfriend or a good marriage or a good job, the enemy is whispering in your ear, no, you don't want to sell out. Don't surrender, whatever it is. For me, it was a sword. I don't know what it is for you. But God is saying, hey, I've got something for you. I've got something big for you, really big. But in order to take it up, you got to put something down. You know what I'm saying? And for me, I had to put down this sword. I had to put down a dream. And I thought, oh, man, I'm dying. It wasn't just the dream of being an Olympian. It was the dream of making a million dollars because I was on the track. And I look back, and those guys that were in the industry with me, that's where they are. They're all millionaires now. I had to weigh that. But you know what? I don't have any regrets. So I took up the call, and you now you know what's happened ever since that time, Paul? Now I've been in 22 countries around the world. Remember one of my dreams? Travel the world. <laughs> he did it. He did it. And he gave me the money to do it. I didn't have to make a million dollars to bankroll it. He did it. And now I've seen God use me to wield the sword of the Spirit in ways that I never imagined. I'm a pretty shy guy. Actually, I was really shy. Growing up, I'd stand and I'd talk and my knees would shake. And now I speak before pastors who don't just have one church, but they have as many churches as I had members in my church. You're hearing me? They have as many churches as I had members in my church. And those are the people that I speak before. And I can only think of the scripture where Jesus said, he calls the fools to shame the wise. You're looking at them. 
He calls the weak to shame the strong. You're looking at him. Me. Because before Jesus called me, I I was nothing. I was nothing. And tonight, I feel like God has brought me here tonight to remind you of that call that's on your life. And to say that you are called in an equal way to bigger things than anything you could ask or imagine. Amen? Do you hear me? And Satan would whisper in your ear and say, don't do it. You'll lose out. He'll say the same thing he's been saying to Eve all along. And whether that is that selling out to Jesus and say, your life, I want your life in my life. My life is yours. Whether it's that first time of saying, Jesus, I'm yours. Or whether it's the next time and the next time and the next time. I don't know what it is. But at each juncture, the enemy is saying, if you do it, you'll miss out on what's important. When I, when I surrendered at one of those crucial intersections in my life, I said to God, in effect, God, I'll do anything you want. Just don't send me to India. <laughs> I thought that was the worst place you could go. Guess where I'm going Friday? Can you believe it? Oh, man. But you know what? It ain't bad. <laughs> and God, God's using me there, too. And so what I find is, is that Satan's just a big liar. And he's not even an original liar. So I want to know, how is he lying to you? What is he saying to you that if you give this up for Jesus to, to pursue his plan, to pursue his life, to pursue the passion that he's putting in you, what are you going to lose out on? Am I the only one he's been saying that to? Does anybody know that what I'm talking about? You know what? Everybody's having fun. You're going to miss out on the fun. Don't, don't do the Jesus thing. And don't, by all means, don't do the mission thing. What Steve and Jenna are doing is, I mean, I can't imagine the attack you guys have been under, the way he's been whispering to you, saying, fools, you can't have a baby in Thailand. You know there's no medical care there. Has he tried that one on you yet? I don't know what he's tried, but he's going to do everything in his power to keep you from your destiny. Do you hear me? He's going to do everything in his power to keep you from your destiny. And if my life is an example probably a bad example, but in my life as any kind of example, what I'm saying to you is this. I never for once, when I was in college or Stafford College just starting out, I never foresaw where God would use me now. I'm serious. And, and I don't want to brag because it sounds like bragging if I could tell you the things that he's let me do, but it's beyond my wildest imagination. Yeah. He's given me influence in nations and he's given me influence, like I said, between before pastors who pastor as many churches as I had in my members in my church. It blows my mind. So as I share these stories, I want to share with you some of the stories just to, just to encourage you. Can I do that? And I'd like to share actually from a text because I think it's one of, the, one of the texts that's on the heart of the Father. And it comes to us from the gospel story according to Matthew. And if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. It doesn't matter if you don't. I'll read it. But in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is doing ministry, and that ministry is being recorded, and he makes a comment about what's happening. And uh, I just want to read that to you. It's not, a, it's not long at all. Matthew chapter 9. And um, begins at verse 35. Matthew 9, beginning at verse 35. Okay? So here it is. This is the, the account. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, 
teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I can imagine that's the way it is in, in so many places of the world. There's so many people, whether it's the, the, the kids that are being sex traded in Thailand or wherever, lost boys that came from Sudan. Many of them came here, I think, didn't they? Sheep that are harassed, helpless, without a shepherd. And then he said this to his disciples. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, let's just stop and take a look at this because Jesus is making two really important observations. What's the first? You, you talk to me on this, okay? I'm a teacher more than a preacher. So what's the first observation he's making? Yeah, that people need a shepherd. This is the reality. People need a shepherd. And then he says those words, the harvest is great, the workers are few. And it gives us two clear realities. What are those? Okay, there's two right there. One, one is vision. One is vision. And he's saying, the harvest is great. And, and, and what I want to catch, have you catch here is that the harvest is not up for grabs. In the United States, we see the church in many places just flatlined. You know what I mean? And, and, and if you're in the hospital bed, flatlined isn't good, right? Mm-hmm. And for many churches, they're in the hospital. They're, then they're flatlined. And we who are in this American context could easily get the idea that this is a reflection of the worldwide church. And if we did that, we'd be wrong. Because the church is not flatlined. Amen? Do you hear me? I used to read the account of the book of, of the early church in Acts. Particularly, I was in, just amazed at what happened at Pentecost, where it says 3,000 were added to the church that day. I mean, and I used to think, wow, I wish I had been there. You know what I mean? I mean, wouldn't you like to experience that? And I thought, man, I wish I could have been there. But then I began to learn about what God's doing throughout the world in our generation. You know what? I think the disciples would have wished they'd been here with us. You know why? Because 3,000 come to Christ every hour of every day now. Do you know that? I think the disciples would have wished they could have been with us if they had known. We live in in even more exciting times, I think, than even Pentecost itself. The church is not flatlined. If we look across the world, we see tremendous growth and invasion of those dark places, just like we sang in one of our songs. The harvest is great. And I'm going to give you some examples of that. Jesus is saying, that's not up for grabs. It's settled. It's, he's just making an observation, and he wants them to see it. Because it's so easy for us when Satan is whispering in our ear to fail to see the harvest and to fail to see that it's right next door. Sometimes we think, well, the harvest is overseas. It's across an ocean. But very often, the harvest is just across the street, just across the campus. We don't have to go across the sea to get there. It's there too. But sometimes it's just across the street or just across the hall in your dorm. That's where the harvest is. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people talk about how when someone witnessed Christ to them, that they were fighting it tooth and nail outwardly, but knew inwardly it was the very thing that they needed. And they thanked, they thanked God that that person persisted even though they gave him all kinds of flack. Thank God that that person didn't give up. I, I, I was horrible to them. But they persisted, and I'm so glad now I'm part of the kingdom. Amen? 
The harvest is great. But what's the but? The workers are few. Jesus is a realist. I want you to know that. There's no place for idealism in Christianity. Jesus is a realist. He looks and he sees two things. He sees that there is a harvest. And again, it's not up for grabs. And it's not just a harvest. It's a great harvest. Okay? There's a harvest and it's great. But secondly, he sees something else. He sees a need. He sees an opportunity, but he sees a need. And the need is this. There just aren't enough workers for the harvest. The opportunity is there. But the workers are not enough. They're too few. And it's almost like this picture. Can you imagine a picture? You guys are going to the apple orchard. I don't, will the apples be still on the trees or will they be picked already in a couple weeks? But can you imagine? I don't know. They usually pick them in the fall, don't do they? Or will they? Should be on the trees? Okay. All right. Can you imagine going to that apple orchard and all the apples are just falling down and they're rotten on the ground because there's nobody working that orchard just to bring in the harvest. That's what's happening. That's the picture I think Jesus is trying to give us. We don't have to strain to bring a harvest about. What Jesus is saying, I want you to focus your efforts on raising up workers. Look what his next line. He says, because of this two realities, one, the harvest is great, two, the workers are few, are few. He asked them to pray and pray about what? What does it say, Dan? Pray to the Lord of Harvest to send out workers in the harvest. He says, go to the commanding officer. Go to the guy who sends out the work crews. Go to him in prayer. Go to the Lord and say, Lord, we need workers for the harvest. Isn't it something? And, And I'm not saying that all of the scripture says this, but in this case, in this passage, the Lord directs prayer not for harvest, but prayer for workers for the harvest. And I find that very amazing. Jesus doesn't seem to be sweating harvest, does he? He doesn't seem to be sweating. He doesn't seem to be up in arms at all about the fact whether there's going to be people coming into the kingdom. That's not his deal. He seems far more concerned, and he wants to direct the disciples' concern and their prayers to another pressing issue. And that pressing issue is, we just don't have a big enough work crew. And if we really want to bring in this harvest, if we're not going to lose the harvest, we've got to get the workers rally. We've got to get them out there. Because the harvest is coming one way or another. Amen? Let me tell you a story. I was in China. I've been going, I lived in China 25 years ago. And it was my heart's desire to um, always work with the underground church. And again, this was something, was it just dream? I thought inco- in, inconceivable. I was an English teacher at a, Christ, at a college. It wasn't a Christian college. It was an oil industry institute. And I always wanted to work in the underground church. When I lived there, I had the amazing opportunity to go to church, and there were three pastors. One had been in prison 30 years for his faith, the other 20 years for his faith, the other uh, 10 years for his faith. I couldn't believe it. And I always said, Lord, give me a chance to go back. I waited 17 years. 17 years. And in, this, in the last 10 years, I've been going to China three Three times a year. Tim, where'd Tim go? Where's Tim go? Tim's got that same heart, and he's been there too. But what a privilege it is to go and to be a part of what God is doing in the underground church and to be able to speak life into those who have entered the harvest field and have given their blood to do it. Can I tell you a few stories about some of these people? The college kids and younger 
are often sent out by their church networks to go do evangelism. And some of them don't even have money. They're not, it's kind of like, we didn't read the rest of this in the parallel passage in Luke 10 says he sends them out without a purse and they do that in China. Uh, they go out without any money and they just have to trust in God. And sometimes in order to get back, they sell their blood to make some money to buy the, plant, the train ticket. You know what I mean? These, these kids are amazing. But anyway, one of these church planting teams was sent to the western part of China. And the guy who was the head of that movement, it was a movement about 2 million believers. And I was teaching his workers, his uh, key, key leaders, and I heard he was going to come in. I had a chance to have lunch with him. And I thought, you know what, I've got to ask him a question because I, I want to make sure that we're really connecting here and we're doing something that's of value to them. So I said, what do I need to ask? I thought, oh, the Holy Spirit, I think, gave me this question. What's the greatest need of the church in China? So I asked that question when I sat down with him, and, and instead of giving me a direct answer, you know what? He told me a story, and, and I want to tell you the story, and I want to ask you to help me decipher what does it mean? What does his story mean in answer to my question, what's the greatest need of the church in China? Are you, are you good? Okay, so here's how the story went down. He said, we sent the church planning team to the western part of China to a place called Four Trees, and he said, I didn't hear from them for a very long time. Almost a year had passed before I got a phone call from the leader of that church planting team. Hello, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? What's been going on? Haven't heard from you. Well, we've got good news and bad news, Pastor. Well, really, what, what's the good news? So that young person began to say, you know, the Lord gave us such grace. We went to one village and there were people who be, were open to the gospel and as we shared the good news of Jesus Christ, they embraced him in faith and so many came to faith, we were able to plant a church. And as we did, we went on to the next village. And again, it happened. People opened their lives to Christ. We were able to plant a church. We moved on to the next village. And in all, in these last 11 months, God's given us the grace to plant 40 churches. 40 churches. Can you believe that? The harvest is great. The harvest is great. And this, is all, this is all folks that are high school and college age. Oh, the pastor was so excited. He was pumped. And he said, what's the bad news? And that leader of the church planner team said this. And, and let me give you a little background first. There's a cult in China called Eastern Lightning. And this is one of their, their heresies is that, that the Messiah has already returned. And she is a Chinese woman who lives in New York City. Okay? So it's kind of weird, isn't it? But there's a lot of other things that are wrapped up in it. I don't have time to get into it. But they, they have... They twist the, the gospel. But to a new believer, they're able to infiltrate a church, and that's exactly what happened. In every single one of the cases, they came in after that church planning team left, they infiltrated the church, and they swallowed it up. And in the end, after that whole time period, 40 churches were planted, and 40 churches were uprooted, every single one. So I want to ask you, based on the story he just told me, I told it like he did, that's where he ended. He didn't say any explanation. That was his answer to my question. What was he telling me? What is the greatest need of the church in China? Yeah, yeah. Say, say it again. Yeah, shepherds. They need workers. Because, you know, in order to go on for the harvest, they, were leaving, they weren't really leaving behind any mature shepherds. They didn't have any shepherds to leave. They didn't have any workers to leave behind. And because of that, they didn't have the biblical knowledge. They didn't have the maturity in order to, to recognize heresy or fend it off. The trouble was not the harvest. The trouble was the workers. The harvest is great. Do you realize that there are 
there are over 40,000 people coming to Christ every single day. 40,000 people come to Christ every single day. Isn't that something? And, and many of those are coming to Christ from places that we would never imagine would be open to the gospel. I met a man named Tariq just uh, last month, or was it last month or month before? I lose track of time. And he is from Ethiopia, but he lives with his wife in Kenya. And he's responsible for Campus Crusade for Christ's ministry in 24 nations of Africa. And it's incredible to hear his story because he was born into a family where his father had four wives. And his, his own mother left the family when he was very young. And so his father rejected him. His father did not want anything to do with him. And so he treated him horribly. And... Uh, this boy, Tariq, along the way, ended up hearing the gospel and came to Christ. This was a Muslim family, though. So the father was really upset about him coming to faith, and he, he responded by beating him up and throwing him out on the street and left him to die. He was, he was, he was brutally beat up, and he laid in, on the street for days. Somehow God reached out to him, woke him up, and brought him to another home where another relative took care of him and said, I'm going to heal you, and I'm going to use you. And God kept every single promise. That young man's greatest dream was to go to high school. He said, Lord, I want to go to high school. But God said to him, I'm not going to just send you to high school. I'm going to send you to college. And I'm going to use you as a witness before the nations. Now, again, remember, this is the kid that's like Gideon. He's kind of a Gideon kid. He's, not, he's born from the least important wife, and he's, he's the least important kid. He's thrown out of the house. He's put in the street. And God says, I'm going to give you what you're asking for. I'm going to send you to high school and even more. I'm going to send you to college. And then I'm going to use you to speak to nations. So he goes to high school. He graduates top of the class. He gets into a really good um, college. And uh, he starts, well, I better back up. Before he goes to college, he starts to share his faith at home. Two sisters and uh, a grandmother come to faith. And before long, the whole village has come to faith. Everybody except his dad. And pretty soon, you know what name they call Jesus? They don't say Jesus of Nazareth. It's Jesus of Tarika. That's his name, Tarika. They named Jesus after him. Who do you follow? Oh, the Jesus of Tarika, not Jesus of Nazareth. And, and so the whole village is going after him. And this is, this is how God's using him. And then he goes away to college, and he starts a fellowship. He starts a campus fellowship. And I imagine it might have been just like this. You know what I mean? And that's why I'm so excited to be here, because I'm thinking, this is so much potential. This is incredible. I know you've been doing it for eight years, but still, it's off the charts what you're doing here. So Tarika starts this ministry in the, in the campus. He starts with six students, just six. And... In five years, the six-student fellowship grew to 1,800. 1,800. Isn't that incredible? And these are from people that were originally Muslim background believers. Amen? So they're recognizing that God's Spirit is on this young man. He's, he's, he's majoring in accounting. He's figuring he's going to go to work for a business. And he gets the highest grades the college has ever seen in accounting. And he's spending no time on his studies. I'm not recommending that. But, but he's amazing. He was saying his nickname on campus was Jesus Major Business Minor. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he's doing so much witnessing. He's hardly in the classrooms. And the professors are scratching their heads and said, kid, we don't know how you're doing it, but you're getting the highest marks in the class. 
graduates top of the class, he's thinking he's going to go get a job for a, a, a big accounting firm because he had, he had the offer. He had an offer to make major bucks. And he realizes the call God is on his life. He gives up this call to make what would have been 20 times more than the average salary of Ethiopians. He gave it up because he wanted to follow God. And so he ended up working for Campus Crusade for Christ. And that ministry that had six kids and then grew to 1,800 in his own local campus, they said, okay, I want you to start more of these campus ministries. And so in the next, let me say, get these, this, in the next two years, he planted 200 more campus ministries. Can you imagine what's going on right here? What's going on right here? Can you imagine that multiplied 200 times? This is great. What you got here tonight is great. But can you imagine it multiplied 200 times? That's what he did. That's what he did. And as he's doing it, the number of students was raised to 7,300. Can you imagine? Is the harvest great? Yeah, the harvest is great. And now what he's doing is he's trying to raise up workers for that harvest. Now he works in over 24 countries in Africa, working primarily in Muslim countries where the converts are Muslim background believers. Amen? The harvest is great. Hallelujah. I want to tell you a story about Lydia. I met Lydia in China. We flew into Beijing from Beijing. We, we stayed overnight, and then we got another flight the next day that took us two hours into another city. I'm not going to tell us the name because it's confidential. Where there's big security risks because they, they do get hurt if their name gets out. So then when we landed in that second city, we got picked up in a car. It was kind of late at night. They drove us in a car on a highway for two hours, and then they pull over. I'm thinking, this is kind of weird. There's a van there. I'm thinking, who's in the van? You know what I mean? Think. Anyway, so they pull over the side of the road. There's a van, and so we get out of the car, and then they move us to a van, and then they drive for another hour on all these rural roads. We're going past lotus ponds, rice fields, and, and it's getting, you know, I can see it a little bit. I saw it more as I left, but we get into this way back location, and, and, and I'm training a group of people whose ministry is children's ministry. They're, they're all what you might call children's workers, okay? It's one of the largest movements in China. And the head of that movement is a person we'll call her named Lydia. That's code name. It's not her Chinese name, obviously. But uh, so we hear Lydia's story. And what's, it's, it's an interesting, it's a fascinating story. Lydia was born in a communist family where she was, she was one of six children, and she was the third, I think, of those six children. And they were really poor. Even though, they're, even though they're communists, they were really poor. And they didn't have a lot of money. They couldn't afford to send everyone to school. So Lydia just held back. She said, okay, I'm going to help my parents with the, with the farming. I'm not going to go to school. So she drops out. She never has a chance for an education. Well, one day at the age of 16, she's going through the village. She wants to go to a, to a film, a movie that's airing in the village. So she's on her way to the village, and she hears music coming out of a house. And she's curious because it's music she's not heard before. She goes over. She knocks on the door. There's old people. They open the door, and they see her, and they close the door. They push her away. She tries again. They open the door. What do you want, kid? Get out of here, you know? And she tries again. Third time, open the door, and, and they, they push her out. She realizes something's going on here. She's not a Christian herself, but she has the sense that they're, they're doing something to meet God. And she wants it. She wants it. And so these old people are shocked. When they come out of that meeting, it, it was an underground church. But when they come out of the meeting, lo and behold, who's sitting on the step? Lydia, that 16-year-old. And they realize she means business. And so they let her come back. They say, okay, the next meeting is Friday. She comes back Friday. She hears the gospel. She gets saved. 
and she's so on fire. She says, man, I, I, I've got to read. I want to read the Bible. But the problem is she's never learned to read. Remember, she gave up school. So at age 16, what grade would that be? Help me think. I can't remember. What's that? Is that 10th grade? So at age 16, she should be in 10th grade. She enrolls in school in second grade. Can you imagine the shame of it? She's a big kid with all these little kids. Her parents laugh at her. They say, you're an idiot. But she says, no, I, I want to learn to read the Bible. So she goes to school. She's in second grade. And then she goes again another year. She goes to third grade. Now she's 17. She goes one more year. And by this time, it's like, you know, she can't take it. The whole village is saying, get out of here. She only has three years of education. So she's trying to read the Bible. She's not getting it. She brings it to the teacher. And teacher, help me read this. The teacher gets saved. (laughs) She's preaching and her family starts getting saved. Her grandparents get saved. And before long, the whole village has come to Jesus Christ. I'm I'm not kidding. The whole village comes to Jesus Christ. And now Lydia's realizing we got to do something with these kids, you know, because there's kids coming to Christ. So she starts teaching them. She realizes, oh, I can't do this myself. So she starts training others to teach. And all of a sudden, without even trying, she's got a Sunday school children's ministry. And when I met her, she said, I've got 50. Well, it was, I started, she said, with like 50 children's workers. And she said, you know, it wasn't enough for us just to do the work in the villages. We realized that, you know what, there were children also in Thailand and Malaysia and Pakistan. So we asked some of our Sunday school teachers to go to Thailand and Malaysia and Pakistan because there were kids there too. She says, yeah, next year, she says, we don't have any money, but we're expecting to send 70 Sunday school teachers to, to Southeast Asia. Yeah. She says, she says God, God can do it. She had no doubt. She said, God can do it. This is, that's Lydia. The harvest is great. It's enormous, isn't it? It's absolutely enormous. Now, again, that's, that's the good news. That's the good news. What's the bad news? The workers are few. The workers are few. What happens, you know what I mean, is that we all like to be sheep, but becoming a shepherd is a little bit more difficult. I was talking to a friend of mine who did training in China, and he said he was doing a seminar, and there was a, there was a young evangelist Chinese girl over there, and again, usually it's those young ones that are doing the evangelism work. So, but he went over to, during the break to check with her, what's going on, you know, how's your life, what are you doing? And he finds out, lo and behold, this 16-year-old girl is a pastor, and not only one, not only is she pastoring one church, she's pastoring two churches. This is the reality. 85% of the churches in the world are pastored by people who have never had any kind of formal training. Any training, formal or informal. I'll take that back, formal or informal training. 85% of the people who are pastoring churches have never had any training, formal or informal. Here's one other stat. If all of the seminaries and Bible schools in the world operated at 120% capacity, we think, okay, let's just send them to seminary then. But if we use all the Bible schools, all the seminaries in the world, you know what? We could still only train 10% of the number that is needed. Seminaries sound like a great solution, but they're a chokehold. They're not enough. Even if we use them 120%, which we know is impossible, it still only gives us 10% of the workers we need. That's why these kind of training programs like Harvest Project, 
school of ministry that Paul mentioned. Other informal training programs are so important. Training programs based in local churches where every church is raising up workers, people like Steve and Jenna. Because the reality is, is every church is training and taking spiritual mothers and fathers, taking responsible for their spiritual children, there would be no shortage of workers and the harvest would not be lost. God's eyes are roaming to and fro across the world, seeing who will say yes. I'm changing the scripture a little bit if you don't mind. But looking to say, who's, who's, gonna, who's ready to say yes? Because the call has gone out. The question is not, are you a missionary? The question is, where is your mission field? Do you hear me? Because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that means you are an ambassador. There are not a select group of ambassadors in this kingdom. We are a kingdom of priests. That's a kingdom of priests. That's what's unique about this. There's not an elite group of ambassadors. They don't wear funny robes. (laughs) Thank God, huh? Each of us is an ambassador. And the question is, what's our assignment? Some of you are assigned to a particular business venture because we need salt and light there. Some of you are assigned to go to the Somalis with Brandon. Some of you are assigned to go to Thailand. Some of you are assigned to go to the Muslim world. I didn't even tell you about our work in the Muslim world. I didn't tell you about the fact that there is a huge revival going on right now in Iran. Do you know about it? Right now, God is, God is using dreams and visions to bring, you've heard, right? To bring literally hundreds and thousands of people to faith in Jesus Christ. There are many Muslim people who report seeing a vision where a, a man in white, who, who looks very gentle, comes to them, and he uses the word Isa. His name is Isa. Do you know the word? You know the name, right? Isa is that Arabic word for Jesus. That's, that's Jesus' word, name in Arabic. And he comes to them and he says, follow me. And a lot of them don't even know who he is. But then they go look poking around and they go to a church. They're thinking somehow, well, I wonder if this is something to do with a, with a church. And they go this, ask this pastor and he says, well, yeah, that was Jesus. Isa, that's Jesus. And they say, well, I want to follow him. There were cases where whole villages had the same vision on the same night. And the next morning are wandering through the streets. Does anybody know Isa? <laughs> I'm serious. It's incredible. This is in Iran where some of, some of the worst persecution exists. I mean, you can't compare to North, North Korea, but we have workers, we have workers in, in Iran. We have workers in China. We have workers in Iran. We have workers in different places. And in China, they, they put you in prison, but you know your family knows where you are. But in Iran, you just disappear. I talked to one of our workers in, in Iran, and he said, they're, they're actually kind of afraid to talk to other Christians because it's so dangerous. You don't know if somebody's a plant. But two young girls were so bold that they actually were going door to door giving flyers of the gospel. Bold. Bold. They ended up serving time in prison on account of it and by the grace of God it got free. The harvest is great. And there's some awesome, some courageous people who have said, I'm ready for an adventure. And I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. 
because the harvest is great, but the workers are few. My sense of answering God's call was this, that we were sitting at a Thanksgiving meal where everybody, you know how stuffed you get at a Thanksgiving meal? You remember, you know how it is? You eat and you eat and you eat, right? Until your belly feels like it's going to burst. And the image that Jesus gave me was that we've got everybody in America sitting at the Thanksgiving meal and the plates go around and around and around. But over on the side, there's all these nations and all these peoples that never get one morsel, never get one morsel, never even get to hear about this Isa guy. They don't get to taste and see how good he is. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. And my sense is that God is call on not just one or two, but every one of you. And again, the issue is not if I am, but where I am, a missionary. Amen? You are the answer to Jesus' prayer. Jesus says, come to the Lord of harvest and pray that he would raise up workers for the harvest. You are an answer to that prayer. And when you go to reach the Somalis, when you go to reach the people of Thailand, where you go to reach the people on your campus, you are an answer to that prayer. Amen? Tonight, I just want to acknowledge those that are ready to say yes. Because I think some of you are hearing the call of God on your life. You're hearing the Spirit say to you, that's you. That's you. You've wanted something great in your life. You've wanted something significant. I can make you stand before nations just like Tarika. Just like Lydia. And Lydia, you know what Lydia's takeaway was when we asked her, what did you learn through all that? She says, I learned that one person can change society. Say that again, Lydia. <laughs> you know what I mean? She said, I learned that one person can change society. And if one person can change society, how many people are in this room, do you think? What do you, I mean, seriously, what do we have? 100, 100 people here? What is it? Clint, Dan, what do we got? Okay, so what can 100 people do? That's my question. If one person can change society, what can 100 people do? Change a nation. Change the world. God has chosen the foolish to shame the wise. He's chosen the weak to shame the strong. Amen? And if the devil's whispering to you now and saying, you ain't got what it takes, you could say to him, you're right. But Jesus does. And me and Jesus are an unbeatable team. Amen? Who's ready to stand up? Who's ready to say yes to Jesus? I want to be an answer to that prayer for workers. Who wants to say yes? Because together with Stephen, do you mind if we, we piggyback with you guys? Together, we want to commission you. Now, we don't know how it's going to pan out. But tonight, we want to recognize the Spirit speaking to you and saying, you've got that call too. A call to go. Wherever it is. Whether, wherever your go takes you. But you have that call. Amen? I'm going to ask my friend Paul to help me pray. For those of you that are recognizing the call of the Spirit in your life. So we're going to have a commissioning now. He just put the call out. And if you want to be a part of that commissioning, I'm going to read the same scriptures that I read to Steve and Jenna. And I'm going to pray similar prayer of commissioning. 
And if you've heard a message tonight and it's compelling you, now you may not be ready to stand up tonight. Maybe maybe that'll happen for you next week or next month or next year. But uh, if you've heard the message and it's settled in your heart and you want to say, I want to be commissioned because I want to be in the harvest. I don't want to be hearing about the harvest. I don't want to be coming here. I don't want to be eating this Thanksgiving meal. I don't want to be getting stuffed. So stuffed that I don't feel like doing anything, giving anything away. But I want to, I want to live in a way that uh, advances the kingdom, not stunts it. So I'm going to read these scriptures in a moment. I'm going to commission those who are standing. So you... Uh, Go ahead. Don't feel compelled by me. But if the Spirit is compelling you and you believe that you're going to make a difference in this season, this season right before us, if you're saying, I'm going to be one of those, I'm going to be like a Lydia, I'm going to do what I can do as God helps me, I want you to go ahead and stand. And if you're not standing, don't feel embarrassed. Because maybe maybe your time to stand is going to be next week or next month. So don't don't feel compelled because other people are standing. I've heard this um, Thanksgiving picture for a while now, and uh, I've shared it with several people, and. Because I grew up on the mission field, uh, I'm just a little partial to missions. <laughs> and so is Jesus. Thank you yeah. for that. It's hard for us to uh, think about that. I know that the Alexes, too, they were saying when they came back and heard the wonderful worship each Communitas night and each Lydia House morning, it was wonderful. Another Japanese friend of mine had the same thought. It was wonderful, but oh, we felt the emptiness that is you know, around the world in Greece and Crete and India and Japan, wherever your um, heart is feeling that. Well, the other thing I wanted to uh, share is uh, my brother used to quote that verse about the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. And I remember in high school thinking, Whoa, what a spooky verse. What? But it's true. We know that, don't we? That the, the Lord is always looking at uh, us, and he knows everything. I was just reading the word today, and, and it was about the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, you know, this sharper than a double-edged sword, the word of God. It's going to go forth. And we want to be part of that, don't we? When we first started Communitas, I saw a picture. It was a vision, and it was of God's army. It was of all of you. Especially I saw Communitas young adults standing there equipped, you know, with your helmet on, with everything the Lord has given you. You're equipped. The enemy would say to you the lies of, no, 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 you're not ready yet. No, no, no. Just wait, 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 wait. And uh, the Lord is saying, I'm equipping you. Mm-hmm. And that vision was, the line was drawn, you're equipped, you're waiting for marching orders in your your feet, your, your you know, feet with boots on. We're ready to cross that 
So, Lord, thank you tonight Mm. that you are allowing us to be equipped Mm -hmm. day by day in your word in this free country. We are being spoiled by you for a purpose. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We hear you tonight. And that verse, uh, do not harden your heart when you hear his voice. I love that one. Because we can say, Lord, our hearts are open. We are listening to you. Our ears are wide open. We are saying yes to you. I was singing with my grandchildren, O-B-E-Y, obey. You know, it's a song about being obedient to the Lord. So tonight we want to obey you, Lord. We hear you and we say yes to you. From Second Timothy chapter 4. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. From Acts 20, Paul is writing, he says, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, Like Robert said, Jesus is a realist. Sometimes it's very difficult. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then this is what Paul says about his life. I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. One more passage. I'm going to read uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning with verse 16 through 24. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. I responded when I was 10 years old. I don't even remember the time my mom told me. But I do know that from that time on, I knew that God had his hand on me. When I was in high school, I didn't want to tell my friends I was going to be a pastor, so I wrote a paper. They said, write on what you're going to become, and I wrote on architecture. I knew that God had called me something different. I knew he had me. And it's a wonderful thing when we can respond. Maybe you've done this before. I did it once, and I, it, it stuck. And so I, I uh, respect those of you who are, who are sitting and waiting and are waiting for that, that call to grip your heart. That's okay. And I respect those of you who have stood and say, this is it. I'm, 
I'm responding. And so I bless you now with the intervention of the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit that uh, apprehends you and says, I can do it. I can make it happen. I can bring people to Jesus, and I can use you to do it. I can use your love. I can use your grace. I can use your personality. I can use your kind words. I can use a batch of cookies taken across the street. I can use a kind word spoken across the hall to someone in need because I'm calling you to love people in need. I'm calling you to speak a word of love, to speak a word of kindness, to exercise the fruit of the Spirit. And what you can't produce, the Holy Spirit can within you. He can produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, endurance, humility, self-control. He can do it all. And Father, do it in them now. Some don't feel like they're equipped. You equip them like you equipped Lydia. We say, Father, you equip them now. They're saying, I'm ready to do this stuff. I pray that they will be ready to, ready to step in the lake before the water parts, just like the priests who had to step in, and if the water didn't part, they were going to be swimming. They stepped in and the water parted. I, I, I bless you with taking some risks in the days ahead. I bless you with going Uh, someplace that you haven't gone before, with saying something you haven't said before, of asking somebody, hey, could I pray for you for that knee? Could I pray for you for that problem at home, for that financial situation? There are going to be stories. Maybe some not all we'll do is tell stories of what God is doing. So consider yourself commissioned by the king over all kings, the Lord over all lords. In fact, the Lord of the nations. And, Father, we know that you are calling people to specific places, to specific assignments. In the days ahead, the weeks, months ahead, God may clarify that for you. If he doesn't, that's okay. You just, you, you just got a call to do it all. But some, sometime he may specify. And if he does, then you can focus in on that people group or that nation or that city or that block or that family. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful message we heard tonight. Let's, let's speak together as Jesus. He gave us boldness to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Will you all stand together? I'm going to speak over you the blessing of the Lord, the the benediction. If you want it, you can catch it. You can hold out your hands and catch it because it's coming your way. I wasn't sure at one time if you can impart things like, like actual qualities but you can impart peace. God gives us authority to impart peace. So you listen to it because you're going to catch peace now that comes your way. And then we're going to turn this place into a prayer meeting.
We'll have plenty of time for fellowship. There'll be food upstairs. Stick around as long as you can, as long as you want to. If you have to beat it out, that's okay too. After a little while, we'll have a a meeting upstairs for the newbies. So you come on up, and it won't take long. You You can stay for a little while if you have to leave. That's okay too. But we'd like to get better acquainted with the newbies. We'll have people up here ready to pray if the... Uh, prayer ministers could um, make your way up to the front. I'm going to ask Robert if you're able to stick around for a little while. Is that possible, Robert? Maybe some of you want to have him pray with you that you do. Uh, some of you probably feel a call to the nations, that you you know that you're, uh, you're here for now, but that you feel a call that it's going to take you to places beyond. I was in Kenya for a summer. And I said uh, it was so wonderful to be to be used to go out on weekends, and I would literally speak until I would lose my voice. I'd, I'd, I'd carry my guitar and I'd, I'd sing. And you didn't know I played the guitar, did you? I'd sing and uh, play, and then uh, I'd lose my voice, so I'd have to quit. And I said, Lord, there's such opportunities here. Am I coming back? He spoke to me. I was about 24 years old. He said, no, you're sending people. So I'm excited tonight to think that I'm, I'm thrusting people out. It may be just you know, within your family or it may be across the nation. Kelly's going to Tanzania, and she bought a one-way ticket. She's, uh, we're going to commission her next, next Tuesday, and then she's going on Wednesday to Tanzania. She's got a one-way ticket. She said, I'll be there at least for a year, but maybe longer. Who knows? Yeah, can you guys come up and pray as well? Kelly, you come up, and, yeah, and you, can, you can pray for people uh, if there are any others, too, who are, uh, who are full-time workers at this point can pray, uh, we'd like to be available to pray with you who, who are hearing the, the stirring of the Lord. But after I give you the benediction, you turn to somebody next to you. Pray something that you heard tonight. Pray, I want to be like Lydia. Or I, I, I want to I uh, make up for this loss that Jesus talked about, the loss of workers. I want to be one of those. I want to be a worker in the harvest. So after I give you the benediction, then you'll just turn. And after that prayer, we'll, we'll just keep praying here. If you want a fellowship, then there's plenty of room, a lot of rooms upstairs. And then after a few minutes, then we'll call the newbies to go upstairs, and you can eat in fellowship. So, okay, here we go. I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna, – and you can look at me, too, if you want to. Is that okay? I guess I, yeah. <laughs> am, I, am, I, am I glowing? Am I, I hope I'm glowing. <laughs> because I want you to glow. When you get done with this. Okay, here we go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his his face upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.